But you know there's a saying among old black people, all black people who can read know each other. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that. Hey, you just click play on the It's All True podcast from Touch Vision. I'm your host, Tim Barnes, and this is an extended episode with New York Times columnist and author Lizzie Skernick. Here's an example. I was raised in Englewood, which is also was the city of biraciality okay. when, I was, when I was born there. <laughs> if you think way back to episode 58, you'll recall how mind-blowing this conversation was on so many levels. Long story short, I thought Lizzie was a white woman, but before I pressed the record button for the podcast, she told me otherwise. We actually talked for over an hour about her experience growing up as a black woman who can pass as white, why she decided to have a child conceived through artificial insemination, and her new book, the compilation of her New York Times Magazine column, That Should Be a Word. Also, Lizzie hates trigger warnings, so beware, nothing is off limits, and this conversation gets explicit. All right, that's enough of the intro. Here is the full conversation with Lizzie Skernick. Well, let's just, I mean, what you, what you brought up to me uh, before, before we even started recording was such a revelation to me. I know. And I, you, said, you said it so casually, like, yeah, I'm black. Well, how I, was I supposed to say it? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I was supposed to start crying, yeah. leave the room, come back in. <laughs> Me, like show you pictures of my family. Yeah, and I, and I don't want I don't want this to be like one of those weird interviews. But I have this. I mean, as a black person, who sometimes is a, a, not as ambiguous as I could be. I mean, I'm obviously black, but pe- people think I'm. No one thinks you're white. That's no one thinks I'm white, but they think I'm no, mixed no, no. with like a lot of things. And I am like I have Creole in Louisiana yeah. and stuff no, like we that. No, ch- we each of my family are the Lowrys and the A Bears down there. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because uh, you know how, well, I don't know, you are too young to know this saying, but you know there's a saying among old black people, all black people who can read know each other. <laughs> I've never heard that. It's so well, great. it's like a saying from, it, it, it's sort of a joke, but the, uh, the so all my um, family on my mom's side, my mom who's black, always taught at historically black universities like Langston University and Bluefield State, and Langston in particular is in Oklahoma, and they all came up from Louisiana to go uh, there because it was a, to an all-black town, Langston, where you don't get killed. And so the world was very small, that world of black academia and that social world. Um, so it was true in a way. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a joke, but it was true. One of my heroes is Duke Ellington. And when he talks about his childhood in Washington, he talks about that sort of nest of educated people building this, this oh, little yeah. society. Yeah, There's not enough. Like, I always wonder why that doesn't get made like like the um like it's all Tuskegee Airmen the 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 part about what was that movie about the debate team oh, the great debaters the great debaters like my grandmother knew the great debater guy the coach I guy. want you to try out for the debate team Are you sure you want somebody like me no that's why you're trying out gentlemen and lady debate is combat but your weapons are words your grandmother knew Denzel Washington. Yeah. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> she knew him when he was in Glory. <laughs> have you seen Glory? I feel like you were born I have seen, I, when I Glory saw, was made. Yeah, but they, of course they showed it in, you know, classes. Oh, my God. Know, like when we, went th- when we talk about the civil rights. Uh, the civil rights oh, my God. <laughs> now I'm the worst black person ever. When they talk about the Civil War, they would play, they would play that movie. The Civil Rights War <laughs> movement. <laughs> So my fascination, though, is 
when you can, you know, pass yeah. in certain situations where people don't realize you're black, do you hear things oh that I God. wouldn't hear in situations? Let me tell you something. I was just I often put this on Facebook because it's fascinating to me. Every time I get in a cab, whoever is driving the cab unless they're a black person and possibly period periodically if it if it's a black person who's not American, you know, who's not from here, they'll do it too. Like my cab driver from here, I uh in Jersey City when I was going to Newark Airport said they were talking about the suit with CVS, which was having a very they were you know they were telling uh, they were telling people to profile uh, black people and Hispanics, and the cab driver, which is a company I use a lot, and I know the guy, and he's Egyptian, and he goes, well, you know, black people and Hispanics are the only ones who shoplift, right? <laughs> and that oh basically God. happens to me. Every time I'm in a cab. A new thing happened to me in Chicago, though. When I when I came here, uh, I was trying to tell the guy where to go. And I was looking it up on my iPhone. And, and he comes back in the cab and says loudly, stupid bitch. And I... <laughs> And I said, did you just call me a stupid bitch? Oh, my God. This guy was Eritrean. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. And then I was like, well, you're fucking driving me to my hotel and I am not giving you a fucking tip. Let's go. I'm so glad I got a chance to tell both those stories, though, because it was like I was insulted as a woman. I was insulted as a black person. My son, Javier, is from Mexican and Colombian sperm, so he was insulted by proxy. So it was just, you know, I was like, no one likes us. Wow, your son is like the future. He's totally the future. And actually, I will tell you something funny about my son. Every everybody, every mother is always like, he reminds me so much of my kid. I think he kind of looks like my kid. And I'm always <laughs> like, yeah, he does sort of look like your kid. But then finally I realized he looks like every child <laughs> except every child who's like white. Like he doesn't okay. look like one of those big fat white Chicago yeah, babies. Yeah. But he – it's a little bit freaky and that's why because he's future child. He's future. He's Fred Armisen world. Yeah, I guess, but he's much better looking. <laughs> so how'd you how'd you get into writing? <laughs> You're gonna be like, so how'd you get Colombian and Mexican sperm? <laughs> I was gonna tell you the whole story. <laughs> wait, 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 when you said sperm, you meant sperm. Oh yeah. I didn't realize that. I thought that was, you know, a tongue in cheek way of, of no no, no okay. of saying I had this sex is with someone. By no. far <laughs> the most mind blowing interview I've ever had. <laughs> I did not expect any of this. Okay. I feel uh, like I'm trying to make up for any boring ass interviews you had to have in your past. So uh, uh, I don't know how to phrase the question. This is all, you know, just coming out. Why? Why the sperm? <laughs> That's my favorite. That's going to be the title of your memoir. Why? The, why all the sperm? <laughs> Bathed in it. Um, I let's see. I well, I'm actually writing an essay right now, so I'll just talk talk away the essay. But no, I hadn't. I was much more ready to have a baby than I was to have a husband. You know, I felt like husbands would get in my way, um, or men would be mean, or yell at me, or tell me I couldn't be a writer, <clears throat> which are generally things my boyfriends have done. So um, just because I had stupid boyfriends, but then when I was 39, I was like, I want to have a baby. So. You can buy sperm 
very easily. Um, <laughs> I, astonishing. I mean, it's really – it's like we should pull up some sperm right now. It's like <laughs> it's like Match.com and you go on and you choose your credentials and then you can buy it right there. It's like my sperm was $700 a vial. Um, but I thought about – like sperm is very cheap. Eggs are expensive and whole babies – like if you're going to like make a bespoke baby, that's like $200,000. But sperm is really cheap. I feel like I'm having the most high-class New York conversation like straight out of a Woody Allen movie. Like this is <laughs> Except he rarely has black people that's in his true. movie. That's true. That's the problem. <laughs> well, he did have uh, Chiwetel in one of those movies. I know. And, uh, he was like in a suit and wandering yeah, yeah, around yeah. saying something fancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was, I, was, I was jealous of him because I wanted to be the first Woody Allen star type. You, you know wanted I mean? to meet the rapist I to... personally. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That story is true. Did you read the Vanity Fair? Uh, the one that his his daughter wrote. Yeah, I did. I did yeah, read it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 hard to separate the art that I love from from, and uh, we're having to do that with so many more people. Bill Cosby. I know. It's, it's. I always thought Bill Cosby was creepy, though. He was mean. Well, the thing about Bill Cosby is, I feel like. There had to be be a reason why he fell into this character he created so much. Where well, I mean, because his career, he wasn't always the that no, no, Bill no. Cosby. No, he wasn't. That was well. It's interesting because you know later he was always talking because this comes back a little bit to what we're talking about. You know, not the Jack and Jill black middle class of now. But the one of like 1920, 1930, which is different. And I feel like Bill Cosby was not trying to hearken back to that exactly because – but what everyone would say, what every white person and every cab driver would say is like, oh, that's not true. That's not – that doesn't exist. (laughs) And I was just like, it totally fucking exists. What's wrong with you? But the world is so racist. They refuse to believe it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because – you know, my like my parents, I mean, my parents both are from New York. They met in New York. My dad's Jewish. My mom's black. They both were at City College. If you look through the old, you know, I was raised in Englewood, which is a town filled with black people and white people. And I just feel like and Jersey City, Jersey City is the worst. I mean, in what ju- way? What? you really can't tell whose child is whose. I mean, in a, in a hilarious way. That's so great. You, It's great, but it's you would be very stupid if you were like, this is that person's <laughs> child. Like, you'd be like an asshole. But that's beautiful. Like, yeah, so, yes. No, so, it's, go- it's so, not bad. <laughs> did you sure. find racism in a world like that? Here's what's interesting. You know, like, for instance, so I lived in Baltimore for nine years. And in Baltimore, I remember once seeing there was a um, a white guy who was clearly a cop who's, like, wearing his off-duty white guy clothes. And he was sitting next to his son, who's a young black kid. And he, they were – they just both – I mean, had identical body posture. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> it was just they were so clearly father and son. And as I saw them, I was thinking in my sentimental way, I was like, well, this is how we're going to solve cop killings. You know, white people, white cops have to see black boys as their sons. They have to look at them and see them as people. They have to look like their sons to them. Um, But in Baltimore, so there's a lot of white cop marriages with black nurses because, you know, this is where you meet at work and Mm -hmm. whatever. But – People are still – I mean it's the wonderful thing about people. 
people. <laughs> we're very resilient. Well, you can just still be racist. You know, we're very complex. You know, <laughs> like, you know, my dad and my mother. I mean, black people are totally racist against oh, yeah. black people. Especially, you know, you know Creole black people. Oh, the worst. <laughs> my grandmother was always talking about her thin lips and blah, blah, blah. You know, because it's not so much that a person is racist. It's that the culture is racist. I mean, here's an example. I was raised in Englewood, which is also was the city of biracialality. Okay. <laughs> When I was born there. <laughs> and so we had a good friend. So most of the couples I knew were were also biracial, most of the parents. Um, and But my parents' best friends, Bill and Sue, who lived around the corner, I assumed Sue was black because Bill was black. <laughs> this is – I am the child of a biracial couple. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But in my head as a little girl, Sue had to be black. Which with with because Bill was black, which is crazy. <laughs> so the actual life you live has, I mean, it does have it. It's like it's a dual effect. You know, when you think about like, you know, I'm getting all serious. Now. I'm your teacher. <laughs> but when you think about something, think about it more like the army or sports teams. You know, you have these dual existences where you're brothers because you're on the sports team together. But you're still both so fucking racist. So, <laughs> y- you know, you know each other. Is, it's like you have this separate – you can separately have a bond that it's extraordinarily strong. But it doesn't erase the yeah. big old racism you have too. And that's how most relationships are just oh, in general. Yeah. Yes. It, it, about anything. Yeah. About anything. And I mean, I, the, it, but I just <laughs> love that racism survives that too. It's just sexism, <laughs> racism, any any bad thing totally. You know, the most loving great father. I'd, I had so many friends after the Game of Thrones rapes, for the most recent rapes, having to explain to their dads that because they were married – these were – they was still rape even though the couples were buried. Oh, wow. And these were men that would no sooner ra- – like the idea of raping their wives. Yeah. You know, but still it's it's just this bizarre, you know, separation. When you think about the neighborhood you grew up in, yeah. do you consider yourself lucky in – I mean in a psychological sense – was it easier to grow up in a neighborhood like that as someone who was biracial than if you were to grow up in a very white neighborhood or uh, a neighborhood that was mostly black? Well, here's the thing. It was it was actually – it was all those things simultaneously because on the one hand, I was just Lizzie, Liz, as I was called then. And, <clears throat> but then on the other hand, the parts I heard, you know, I think I was also – <clears throat> probably a little bit richer than – not richer, but my family was maybe a teeny bit richer than most of the kids in the school, white or black. So that was also part of how people saw me. I was also a bookworm. <laughs> you know, it was more – what I felt more was my parents simultaneously <clears throat> wanting me to be like an example for the black community. Even to this day, my father will say – well, you're not really black. I mean, you're not black like your mother's black. Ah. And I know he's not saying it to be a jerk, but I, but in a way, I know what he means. To him, being black is being raised in a time 
when things were actively racist, you, you know, like my mother was followed around Bloomingdale's, you know, it's a, it, you know, just actively racist things that happen to any black person all the time. And in his head, because that doesn't happen to me and because that didn't happen to me in 1963, I'm not black. Um, and, you know, that kind of thing does infect you. I think because I was I was sort of a child who always felt what every adult was feeling around me, you know, every single adult. And so I feel like my brain does get crowded by those things. Like last night I saw Have you seen Regina's Taylor's play yet? I haven't. It's so good. <laughs> but what I loved about it especially is I was kind of like, oh, I'm not the only black person that doesn't run around being completely neurotic about this <laughs> shit. And, of course, no one isn't neurotic but about black, it. Black neurosis is something that – I thought you were going to be like, but real black people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm, say, I'm saying uh, – that's something that I try to do in my comedy a lot is talk – not talk about it, but uh, allow – people to experience black neurosis because I feel like it's not considered neurosis when people think about it but you're constantly sort of paranoid about thoughts or perceptions whenever you walk through a door oh yeah but although you look see here's the thing like your life is different from mine because you walk into a door and people see a young black guy you know I look at you and I'm like, oh, my little brother, my intern. You know what I mean? I literally was because you said that. I did first think you were Tim Barnes. But because you said that, I was like, I can't believe this fucking intern has to be here on a beautiful Saturday. That's terrible. But like, you know, other people think crazy shit. And I and I do see that because it's like. For me, if I see a black woman, I see my Aunt Sherry, I see my mom. You know, if I see a black dad, I see all the people I grew up with. Um, But what my parents and I have concluded and what I think is really true is that most white people, and I would say most, we're getting so serious, (laughs) don't look at black people and see human beings. They just don't. They don't see like this is the person like I'm a person. They just do not. Um, And I'm always – and I have had people get pissed. Like I had a boss once who was obsessed – and I feel bad now because she died because she got hit by a bus. But um, she was obsessed with the civil rights movement. She had all her, you know, things, all her buttons that she'd marched with. When she hired me, she thought I was white. (laughs) And then later she somehow learned I was black and she, or I think I just told her at some point, and she got so fucking pissed. Why? Be, because she was like, and, and I could feel what she was thinking. One part, she wasn't getting credit for her black person. That was a big problem. But two, I had gone to Yale, and in her head, she thought I was getting a white person from Yale, not a black person from Yale. And a black mm, person from Yale is somehow be, worth. Yes, is a fake is a fake Yale person, you know. And I always wanted to be like, I just want to show her my essay. Like, <laughs> it's like, do I need to pull out my SAT scores? But I could feel it, and she uh, eventually did fire me. Um, it was crazy, but that that has happened too. Where someone's like, I mean, definitely white people will be like, you're not really black, <laughs> and it's just sort of like, well, you would know. 
But how often do you get that from black people? <laughs> never. 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 Because we're not crazy. <laughs> we're not crazy. And what's so funny, though, is that that's the – people always think it's black people saying that. I have never had a black person say that to me in my life. And there are a lot of black people in my life. And I don't think it would even occur to them. Uh, but, you know – and that is something I see – I think a lot of mixed kids, and it was back when I called them mixed, do, did get um, flack for that. I, I never got flack for that from black people once in my life, huh. from white people all the time. <laughs> all the time. You're not really black. Uh, <laughs> and just out of general you, – you know, I, I'm a fan of, of Woody black Allen's people. films. <laughs> Woody Allen's films, not necessarily Woody Allen, but his films. And black people, of course. <laughs> Out of curiosity. <laughs> Do I think he's a huge child molester? No, I'm not asking oh, okay. that. Oh, what? Because yes. I was going to be like, yes. Are your family reunions like? Oh, well, I only have – here's my dumb thing. I, I, My Jewish side of the family always does Catskills reunions. Okay. And we have been doing them for years and years. And we're also very bad Jews. Like we're the kind of atheist, communist <laughs> Jews. Like none of us are Jewy, Jewy, you know. <laughs> and we're more like, you know, uh, just New Jersey, New York people, which, you know. Um, but uh, But I missed my black reunion. The black side of the family – you know, my mother was, I think, after growing up mainly in the black community, she now I'm just going into therapy, but she <laughs> wound up being in a town, you know, amongst my father's friends and the people of Englewood that became very, very white as she got older, you know, partly from from divorces, a lot of the bi interracial couples divorced, a lot of the white couples divorced, too. But. I think there was a part of her that was really like, what the fuck? You know, like, I lost my community. I don't know where it is, um, especially because she wasn't in touch with, you know, for various reasons. Her her family, a lot of them had died. You know, she had grown up with a huge family, but a lot of them were dead now. And Langston doesn't exist anymore as an all-black town. All, all of those things disappeared. So there was a reunion set up by my um, my cousin down there, uh, down in New Orleans. But it, it only happened once and I couldn't go. I was in college. But I have to say, I was worried about going only because, first of all, we th my brother is convinced that our black relatives were slave owners because <laughs> oh, the parts yeah. of the family is just sort of like, yeah, well, he was this guy who was a farmer who had a big house. Yeah, so it was yeah. just clearly a slave owner. <laughs> Not our white relatives, <laughs> our black relatives. So, um, but I was scared to meet. I was also younger. I was having issues of just meeting anybody and my oh. identity. It wasn't. It wasn't so much the black thing, but I was. You're still building your identity. You're building my identity in a way that had nothing to do with race. Now, if I were getting to meet all my cousins, but I did remember being scared because it's such a fractured thing. You know, when you're meeting, that's really what I love about Chicago, what I've seen. It was like, you know, Chicago seems like a normal place where I could hang. And, you know, I work in publishing in New York. And there, I was about to be like, there are not a lot of white people in publishing. <laughs> the opposite of what I mean. There are, it's, there are not a lot of black people in publishing. And we all stick together. But like, 
I'll go to a thing or I'll go to a party and there's just like no black people, you know, and there's nothing I can do about it except be the black person there <laughs> and tell people to have more black people there. But, you know, it's it's different to have a real community than to be the two or three people feeling awkward, you yeah, know. And, yeah. But it's also, you know, book, book publishing is my community in a lot of real ways too. But it was why I was so glad to meet Regina Taylor. And I was so glad to see all the kids at the play last night. There were all these biracial kids, like just like these good-looking 20-year-olds putting their <laughs> cell phones on the QR codes and being all like the young kid in the play. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is a normal place. Yeah, well, I like, this- the, I like you said real community because I feel like a lot of people when they say like a lot of companies where they try to when they use the word diversity. Oh, yeah. It's that like means they hired a black person to run yeah, the HR department. Like, and the way they say the word sounds like they're actually just talking about a can of Sprite. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be refreshing. It'll be so refreshing. But actual diversity wouldn't be yeah. refreshing. It would just feel so normal right. that you're not... You, you well, they I mean? don't know what that is. Let's just bitch out. But they really don't know what that is. They don't know that that world exists. I mean, I remember one of my best friends saying... I don't know what we were talking about. She did. What's so funny is she didn't know any black people. But right now in her life, like all of many of my white friends, all of their best friends are black, which I find <laughs> hilarious. So I'm like, my white friends are doing much better than I'm doing. But um, but that, you know, she was like, so your parents didn't have a cultural clash. And I was like, no, I was so shocked by it. And I was like, no, they actually didn't. I mean, I'm sure some interracial couples have that thing where it's like you know, like Obama's parents. You know what (laughs) I mean? But I was like, my parents had uh, issues, but in that sense, they were both from New York. They went to the same fucking high school. You know, they met at a party with friends. It wasn't like... They were so not people coming from different worlds in so many ways that when she said that, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But to her, that world of the 60s and City College or whatever world I came from, just does not exist. Just like the Cosby show does not exist to some people. They don't they don't know what Howard is. They don't know what Hampton is. They don't yeah. know what Morehouse is. They they don't know any of these things. It's science fiction. They feel like we made it up to to be politically correct. Like when I did my column for this book, you notice to see all the uh, illustrations in my book. Yes. Just flip through it. Yeah, I've seen I've, I've looked through you it. Go, yeah. Okay. So when I first got the book, all of the illustrations were white people. I I did that did stand out to me when I looked through it. Uh oh that the that, no but I made them put in black people. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I, was trans- I was like no in no, my no. Head, in my head I transitioned. <laughs> so, it stood out to me head. that there are a lot of black people and yes. people of color in it. Well, because when I wrote the book, that's just my friends and my neighborhood in there. But I used to just put the names of people I knew when I did the column. And at some point, my editor, not that editor, but my editor at the Times was like, OK, we have to stop this because we get a lot of complaints that people are being politically correct. And I was like, oh, so if I have actual black, actual black people <laughs> are a lie and you're being politically correct, like if I make that book, which is the world I actually live Live in, which you can go drive to and see. Yeah, yeah. It was not invented to make white people feel guilty. <laughs> it's not fake. Then that's a lie. So we all live in Jersey City to be politically correct. <laughs> because otherwise we'd just be with white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, it's weird how white is the default. It's sort of white? the default setting. Yeah, they like that, though. Did you read that article about... I just love how we're just <laughs> bitching out white... But there's this article about Bill de Blasio today in the Wall Street Journal. And it's really a bunch of white people being like, well, he's all for the poor, but what is he doing for us? And it's like... Seriously, it's like you have one – oh, yeah. yeah, But you have one mayor that gives like a fraction of attention (laughs) to the terrible (laughs) poverty that's in the city, which, by the way, would be good for the middle class. You know what's good? Removing poverty. That's great, actually, (laughs) for the middle class. But it's just like does everything have to be about you or you're complaining? (laughs) Literally, everything has to be about you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, you said you were a bookworm as as a child. Oh, yeah. What was it about books that drew you in? <laughs> you mean versus like porn? Versus, I mean, ver- <laughs> or I mean, film? I mean, uh, I've heard legend that television existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were, you know, I just love. See, I really, I feel like you really need to see the Regina Taylor play. <laughs> actually, because it's about book people. But um, oh, also, you know, I left a book here two days ago. And I oh. wrote the guide. Did anyone find it? it was uh, called, I'm not sure. What... It's really good. We're gonna after this podcast, we're gonna look we're gonna around look the studio for it. Okay. For it. Um, now I don't know. I have always loved to be in a book. It's how I learned about the world and fiction. Just fiction. I really don't. I mean, I read nonfiction in magazines all the time or journals. It's not like I don't read it, but like. Uh, just fiction that has I, – I was joking with my friend Laura who's a novelist the other day and I was – her husband kept talking about various battles and historical things and his thing. And I was like, you know, unless I read that in a novel, I would not remember anything. I just have no – I would have to read all those battles in a novel to understand so, what they were about. In terms of fiction, it was like The Hobbit – no, I did love The Hobbit. My brother read The Hobbit. Okay. And I loved all The Hobbit books. I loved, you know, my parents had all the black books on their shelves. You know, they had um, The New Negro. They had uh, this anthology called The Black Woman. They had The Black Jews of Harlem. They had Soul on Ice. You know, they had <laughs> they had all of, you know, because every sort of intelligentsia person had all those books. So I read all those books. I read all the teen. You know I have a teen imprint, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I read all of those, you know, YA books, tons of them. But then I read like Nicholas and Alexandra. I read anything. I read a lot of Philip Roth. Uh, who did I like? I loved Upton Sinclair when I was younger. Not Upton Sinclair. Yeah, Upton Sinclair. Um, no, 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 no. Um, Sinclair Lewis. I never I never really got into Upton Sinclair. I loved, you know, Louisa May Alcott. Uh, you know, I just had my ta- and I just read and read and read and read. I feel like reading is my default. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's – if I could just be doing that all the time, that's what I would do. That's basically what I would choose to do all of the time. Do you enjoy the the actual process of writing? Yeah. No. The writing comes out of a kind of a mania. The writing comes, so I have to write it down. But if that didn't happen, if this <laughs> like if the stories were not come, if there was not just sort of dialogue in my brain all the time and creative things happening, I wouldn't do it. But I and I always wonder how much it's like that for other people. Um, like I know Isaac Asimov had a story about that 
uh, about all these stories. Just tweet. he wrote a story <laughs> about being a storyteller. Okay, um, <laughs> and so I know for him it was like that. That there's just this ream, the reams of stuff there, and you have to get it all out. Um, but uh, I have no idea. I you know I went to Hopkins for my poetry degree, and there were certainly people who did their poems by brute force, and they were just really bad. <laughs> I mean, but once you get past the, you know, the stuff comes just comes out of you, yeah. um, then there's the editing process. That's the part that, especially as a comic, a lot of my jo- jokes or a lot of the times that I attempt to write things, the things I end up writing, I'm cutting it down, like cutting yeah, so much sure. fat just to get set up punchline. Yeah. But I feel like I lose something that, is in a lot of writing of substance. No, no, no. I don't think you do. I mean, I am right now, I think it's just a matter of, you know, the more you practice, the more your brain starts to do it for you. Like I'm writing a piece right now. Did you read the Andrew Solomon piece in The Times about about postpartum depression? No. So I, you know, was on a million drugs during my pregnancy and still am on drugs and was on drugs before my pregnancy. And I loved it. And the, pe- <laughs> <laughs> and, the and the piece doesn't really have anything about that. Like, you know, just like how drugged up you can be and how it's fine. Um, and so I'm writing a response to that. But what I notice lately is when I write essays, I write them over and over. Like I write it. And then I pick it up and just start writing it again in a more refined way. It's like I need to write shitty versions of what I'm (laughs) writing. But it's not that my brain isn't pumping out. It pumps out the shitty version. Then it pumps out a more refined version. And then – so it's sort of editing on top of itself. But I think you have to let – and then I even look at that and I look at all the shit at the bottom and I'm like – I wonder if I'm going to lose something. But you also sort of have to let it go. Yeah. You just have to let but it go. But do you know when it's done? Like, who you just can, know. I don't know. The, who cares? If you want to be a working person who works as a writer, like, who, you just the, let it go. who the fuck cares? You write for the money. You write it. Something good will come out. Some things you will like. Some things other people will like. You just can't do that. There's okay. going to be things you should write down that you forget to because you fall asleep. Like the more you think of it as a practical thing, the better off you will be. Okay. Because I feel like of all the the the, the art forms – is writing an art form? Yeah. An art. <laughs> I mean it's an, it's an art form in it, – it is art. I don't know if the act of writing is art, but what comes out is art. Otherwise, it'd just be a phone book. I mean, you can certainly tell. I'll say you can certainly tell when someone has written something and it is not art. So, <laughs> so that's the proof that it's art. Yeah, but I feel like you know, there's there is. Are you just, about to say my book is not art? No, no. I'm saying, but <laughs> I'm, I'm saying I agree with the statement you just made. And writing is one of those things where, like, I can give so many passes for like music, for paintings, for you know, even stand up things that are in the moment. Not so much with – I don't really know how to judge classical music, but there's a, a yeah, finality sure. to 
classical music that is similar to writing, where it's like, this is final. I love how you're worried about endings. Yeah. Because you're so young. Because, like, we talked about that before, where <laughs> yeah. you were like, I think everything's going to end at 30. And it's like, no, it's going to be a slow process of ending for so long. You're not that lucky. But, but you, you, like, you think about Isaac Astor, like, after these books come out, especially if a book becomes, you know, very popular and, yeah. and is considered a classic. I always wonder about these authors. You're like, there's a, this part of this book that actually should should just not be in there. That oh I'm not- yeah, no. I mean, I think I think I mean, I definitely. You will not find an author that does not hate everything they just wrote. <laughs> like, you know, if you ask an author to read from their work, they'll be like, "Could I just stab myself instead?" <laughs> like, I'll do anything else. Don't make me see what I just wrote. <laughs> like, I hate it. Like, I have a book. My bookshelf discovery, some people have literally said, is like their favorite book. And I'm like, how can that be? It's the worst piece of shit ever (laughs) produced in space and time. I do have one book that I like uh, that I wrote, which is a teen novel. And I like it because it was a mystery. And at the end, somehow my psyche made it so that everybody thinks someone else is the killer. And you see that through different documents. There's like a memo and there's an email and there's a conversation, like all that reveal that they, and I was, and I'm always like, that was great. And you're building out the suspense. That was my highest moment as a writer. So we never know who killed the person because (laughs) everybody thought someone else killed him. How do you control the pace in which people are reading you know what I mean? I, I learned this about comic books, for instance. They're actually trying to control the pace in which you read them. So the, if they want you to go through something really fast, there will be a bunch of panels of this fast action taking place. I think you can't do it bottom up like that. I mean, I do think there's stuff you start to see as you write a lot of stuff. Like, you know, something a writer learns is like that thing you wrote at the end should probably be your first paragraph. So then as you continue being a writer, you don't write that last paragraph (laughs) as your first paragraph anymore. Like you catch on. Um, And – but I I don't know. Like it's just going to sound – weird but like it comes out of a feeling and you try to stay in that feeling as long as you can while you're typing and then when you lose it you can't do it anymore and it is true and if and if you stay in that feeling what's interesting is if you stay in that feeling you wrote something it i have i know many people uh, not my friends. So my friends don't get paranoid. <laughs> but I do know many people where it's like they are certainly writers. What they write is writing. They're beyond mediocre writers. Like, you know what I mean? Like they are not as fine an instrument as some other writers, but they are writers. And I think you just can't control that shit. I think you can grow and practice as you become a writer. But I think even the tricks you learn come out of stuff you're doing. You know what I mean? Like I don't – because I think if someone's just like make more rapid panels, you know, <laughs> yeah. that that has to be something the muse absorbs. If just you absorb it, who cares? You know, if you're just like, <laughs> oh, I had a panel. But the, but the muse – if the muse can absorb that as a challenge, like these words are all forms, you know. My words are all in a form. So my muse absorbed that challenge. I don't do shit. You know, if I, if I tried to th- – think of a word, you know, actively sort of put a word out there and be like, you know, a good word is a word. A good word for this is a word that has a lot of words in it. Uh I would not be able to do it that 
yeah, way. This is sort of this is not going to happen. Maniacal scientist. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> maniacal scientists sometimes write me and are like, "Do you like to do other puzzles like this?" <laughs> 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 and I'm like, "That's not how it works." <laughs> so your book, that should be a word. Yes. Uh, originated as a column in the New York Times. Yes. Correct. Was it a weekly column? It was a weekly column. Was that a challenge? No, they came out kind of manically. Um, <laughs> not maniacally, but manically because of my mania. They came out. No, and if you ask me, it was actually kind of hard not to write them. If someone asks me for a word, like someone asked me for a word yesterday for what what it, you say when you're reading over someone's shoulder. And the word <laughs> I got for it was over peer. Ah, like over I like that. here. Oh, nice. Here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I and I do like that one. I like that one. I actually think it's a good word. It has a lot going for it. But I feel like there's an even better word. Somewhere I could come, out there. Yeah, that I could come up with. We'll, we'll see if it comes to me. I like, I, mean, the ones, I like the words you have that are kind of dark-sided. Oh. Like, what's the one you have for when people bring their kids to... Oh, draft or birth. Draft or birth. That's yes. a little dark-sided. I know. <laughs> it's funny. My publicist is 23, and he loves that, too. But there were a few reviews that were like, some are just stupid, like draft or birth. And it's just... But that's a good example where it's like, literally, my brain pumps these out. Uh-huh. And... Sometimes, sometimes I love it. Sometimes other people love it. Like, like, uh, you know, people love dramaneering. I'm not so, you know, <laughs> people loved Fidgetal. I thought Fidgetal when I wrote, I like Fidgetal too a lot, but when I wrote it, I thought, oh, this is so obvious, Fidgetal. This is one of my <laughs> yeah. stupider words. And then everybody was like, this is the best word ever. <laughs> so, you know, so you sometimes don't, you sometimes you can enjoy different things about your writing yeah. than, or about what you did than other people enjoy. And as the originator of some of these words, have you ever just been in a casual I'm situation? Of all of these words, they are all M I N E. This is my as a comic. I mean, I, I have this. <laughs> no, fear. I wrote every uh, single no, I, one. I understand of those. that, I but the thought that you know someone somewhere has has said this joke, they, and I, I just don't know. They someone probably somewhere, have. You know what I mean? They probably have. I mean, it's the great minds think alike <laughs> problem. And every time I did do a word, I would look at. Not some words I didn't bother to look up because I was like, no one else did skinjecture. Yeah, no yeah. one wrote that word. It's fine. <laughs> but then, like some, I remember I was trying to think of a word for how to make how when you ruin something by trying to fix it. And the word I came up with was ruin force, but which is not like my favorite word, but I like it because it has ruin it and you yeah. eject it and you force stuff and then it breaks. So, you know, I like that one okay. But the first one I thought of was rectify, you know, mm. with like a W-R-A-C, rectify. And then I was like, that's the fucking obvious one. That's an urban dictionary. And it was, you know. <laughs> but by uh, but then I feel bad because it's like some of those obvious ones, it doesn't even mean it's obvious. It just means it's a thought we can all share Together, which is actually kind of nice. And as someone who's you know been deconstructing words and creating new words, do the does it? Because I have this thing where I I I honestly don't believe in the Webster dictionary. <laughs> in what sense? In the sense, and I, and I know this sounds crazy. I know I'm young. I know this, but you're totally. I I'm always like, okay, I get that there's that we all agreed that there's a system of the way words are spelled and things like that. But if I write it this way, you still know what I meant. So does that mean that that's still the word? I mean, no. I mean, it's a. 
What I no. I mean, it's <laughs> yes. I mean, those spellings change. Everything's fine. If you try to read, you know, texts from 1492, you can't read them. You know, and they <laughs> yeah, still yeah. have like the German F, and you know, <laughs> it's everything does change. And I think for me, para me, the best thing to do is the most fun thing is to keep looking at everything. Like. Like everyone's always making fun of black people for saying axe instead of ask. But actually in the 17th century, everyone did say axe. <laughs> so it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's funny stuff like that where I think the changes are just completely fun to know. Um, <laughs> like I don't have like a thing about it. I do hate it when people are stupid. Like I like if you're stupid but not unin like the Sarah Palin repudiate thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. is more funny because it's like that's a made up word that needed to be there. There is something true <laughs> yeah, about that some, yeah. and it's pretty and it makes sense. So you're like, OK, that was a good creation. <laughs> but if someone just says and well, I think most most of those fake words are actually good creations. They're things that should be. But like. If someone just says regardless, it says irregardless oh, yeah. for regardless, it's sort of like, well, what was creative there? You just don't know what the fuck you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Well, I just found out that all all in, it's the term is all intents and purposes. You are kidding. You didn't I'm, know you thought it was all intensive purposes? <laughs> yeah, that makes total <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> what? Like intensive care. You, but the thing is, like this these are words Your that you hear. Your generation does not speak clearly enough. Well, no, the generation didn't speak clearly enough to me. No, you weren't listening. But, but it's one of those things where like these are words that you hear but you don't read. Yes, so I hear yeah. yeah. So I know I know what it means for me to say all intensive purposes. <laughs> it means the same thing to me. It, but it doesn't. All <laughs> intents and purposes. Your hey. generation just needs to enunciate a little bit more. Do you have a bit of a hatred towards millennials? No, I just don't understand them. You guys are so <laughs> fucking weird. I will say something that I'm, but I try. Like I try because I'm always trying to be empathetic and not mean. <laughs> so I try to understand the trigger warning thing. Oh, yeah. I try. Well, as a as a comic, that's something that we are learning constantly about the trigger warning thing. Are you supposed to are you supposed to give trigger warnings? Well, that sounds crazy. Because well, we reap the repercussions when we shock when we shock people with something that they didn't. You know, that isn't politically correct, things like that. You know what I mean? Well, who cares, though? <laughs> then And then you take the fire. But then I'm always like, but on the other hand, though, like you don't remember this because, again, we can say you were born in the year 2005. <laughs> and <laughs> But there was this big period in the 80s where rape was this big thing. It was like rape was just suddenly getting known as a thing. So – they raped every character on every TV show. And I mean like on sitcoms, like on different strokes. Uh, Kimberly gets like molested. Like every everybody had this really scary episode in which like Mallory on Family Ties gets wow. like molested by a family friend. Yeah, it was crazy. And it was Perm oh, 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 on Little House on the Prairie, there's this rapist clown. What? I'm telling you, the old people in the audience are like the rapist clown. And they are terrified to this day of that fucking rapist clown. And he was a guy who wore a clown mask. Mm -hmm. And and this so um, 
And I, we were actually all traumatized by that. Like, if you look back, I'm like, oh, my God, like, I absolutely thought I was going to get raped. But you read, you see that many rape stories. And there was, there was no trigger warning for the episode. There was no. Well, there probably was, but your parents don't give a shit. (laughs) Like, this has adult, like, that Downton Abbey with the rape had, like, a warning. But it doesn't say, you know, it says this has serious content. To me, that's like someone's going to die. It doesn't say we're going to beat up a woman mm-hmm. and rape her, a character that you know and love. Like, that's what it should say. Like, it should yeah. say, like, we're going to beat up one of the characters and rape them. Yeah, so, so you should... believe there should be trigger warnings before movies and... Well, that's like an interesting... Well, well I mean, a sh- yes, because a show is different. A show is something... You're choosing to watch and a show that's not SVU where it's like, no, 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 this is a rape show. So obviously we're not going to give a trigger warning because every episode is a rape show. But if you have a happy show and then suddenly you're going to beat up and rape a character, you have to warn them. However, if you're in an English class reading the Greek plays in college, like – you know, I mean, you might the professor might want to announce like this isn't, you know, Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> There's no rapist <laughs> clown. But in that sense, it's like, do you want to read the classics or not? Like the, the, like every cl- every book you are going to read needs a trigger warning. Yeah. Any book, you know, the Bible needs the biggest trigger warning. anyway. Oh, yeah. So it's like if you don't want a trigger warning, don't go to school. <laughs> oh, and by the way, if you don't go to school, the whole world is not going to give you a trigger warning yeah. either. So that just seems crazy. But then there is the other part of me trying to not be a snarky bitch yeah. that's like, wait, that was very traumatizing to see that lady get raped yeah. on Downton Abbey. Or if you are someone who has experienced trauma. A- but even you don't even need to experience. That's the even worse part. Like millennials always think, <laughs> no, but like, you know, everybody always thinks it's personal. You can't do things by what's personal that then it becomes stupid because it's like there just may be someone who just got raped yesterday who's who sees that and is like thank god i'm not the only one who got raped by a clown you like you never oh, yeah, know if not... a trigger warning yeah. is going to be the thing that helps like when i was growing up we had these things called speakouts do you know about speakouts uh... they went away with the 90s they I'm, I'm trying to guess what a speakout is i don't know what they are but the... is it like it was before take back the night marches Okay. What, what a speak out was, and they had them on college campuses everywhere, is that you got up and told the story of your molestation or your rape or anything, and that was supposed to be helpful to get getting rid of the shame, you know, and that was like the way that was, you know, that was our equivalent, I guess, of the trigger warning. That That was the thing that was supposed to solve this problem of feeling fucked up. And that is maybe the problem where it's like nothing nothing's going to solve that. If you got raped, nothing's going to s- stop you from feeling bad. If you watch Downton Abbey and your favorite character gets raped, you're going to feel bad. Things things feel bad and the important thing to do is figure out how you want to handle that as an adult, not to be like no one can ever say anything bad. Yeah. To me, or do anything bad. But other than again, I was pissed at the Downton. I'll be pissed. Like, how can you just rape that character? What's wrong with you? You know. <laughs> so you're experiencing the the millennial existential crisis. Right I'm now. not, but I'm not existential about it. All I am is pissed 
at the writers. I'm not existential. My reaction to that is being like, you guys always fucking have to rape someone when you feel like nothing's happening. And my reaction is to also notice like, you know, they don't rape a kid. They don't rape another man. You know, they don't they don't uh you know, on some level, it is easier for for men and for all of us to tolerate a woman being raped than it is, you know, to watch a child being beaten up and getting raped or another man being beaten up and getting raped, all of which are things that happen. I don't want it to not to happen. I, I mean, I do want it not to happen, but the, but in the way I want it not to happen is for me to be like, you are fucked up in that way and you need to think about why you're just raping that woman's ass, you know, and not, you know, why are you doing that? Um, and that's the weird thing to me about trigger warnings where it's just sort of well, like – Well, of course now I'm trying to decide should I put a trigger warning uh, in, uh, in this episode? Why? Because I say rape, 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 black people, rape, white people, rape. <laughs> no, but I mean, here's the thing. I'm just going to say this again. But like if 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 something has happened to you, your job and responsibility in the world is to figure out how you want to be about that, not how you want other people to deal with that. And you millennials are always trying <laughs> to control what other people do to help your feelings. And it's like, we don't know how you're going to fucking feel, you know, and yeah. we certainly don't want to be held responsible for how you feel. Well, I, mean, I, feel I feel in between with that because I feel like I feel like because of the situation that the millennials have, have created, uh, it makes me feel more like I have to think about it but if I am going to talk about it it really was a choice because I know how much potential flack there is you know what I mean Well but it's also like coming back to art coming back to art <laughs> yeah. It's like are you what is your purpose are you doing something useful I mean are you teaching a Greek play or are you my cab driver saying well all blacks and hispanics are the ones who you know shoplift these are very different things. You know, are you opening something up for a discussion in order to talk about the world or are you just being an asshole? Um, and that's the thing about the quote unquote rape joke. And there's a great poem and I just can't remember who called rape joke. It's on the all and it's by this wonderful poet and it's really good. But basically or that's one of the things it's about is like – you're never trying to do that when you write a rape joke. You're just trying to say, I just want to be able to say rape, which is an asshole thing yeah, yeah. to do and doesn't talk about anything. And that's just being a bully and an asshole. So I think the questions uh, probably people who are trying to create are, are and to be funny if you want to ask yourself a question, you know, if if the response is, well, you were just doing that to be an asshole, then, yeah, don't do it because it has nothing to do with anything, you know. But um, but and, and that is also something people can recognize fairly easily, you know, something that's not actually an opening to a conversation. Like I was interested in that Game of Thrones rape. That everyone was so upset with because I was very upset with it too. And I was trying to think, why is this one so unbearable? 
And for me, at least for me, and no one else said this, so I don't know if I'm the only one that thought this or I didn't read it. Did you, do you watch Game of Thrones? I don't watch Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. So. Well, everyone else does. So <laughs> yeah, know what I'm talking about. But there was, a, there was a rape. There's a million rapes on it and baby killings and everything. But there was one that everybody suddenly objected to. And I think it was because it was a character we, we thought someone was going to escape rape. And this character had escaped rape, rape so often. And every time a character is about to get raped, it's much more tolerable when on a TV show they get rescued. And this one had gotten rescued like a million times. And then they finally still raped her. And I think that's that's what was hard. You know, you're always holding yeah. out that hope. And maybe what it <laughs> I'm literally taking my arm over there and holding something out. But and maybe that's what a trigger warning is. You know, you're holding out that hope that someone can tell you something is going to be bad so that it doesn't have to be bad. And you know what? It's bad. It's just bad. And you got to learn how you're going to deal with that in your life. And wanting things not to be bad is not the way. and that's the show I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the points made in this interview chime in by tweeting at me at timbarnes451 or the podcast at alltruepodcast and for more info on Lizzie Skernick visit lizzieskernickbooks.com It's All True is a production of Touch Vision and for more revealing intimate people-centered news and entertainment about the world you live in and the life you lead Visit touchvision.com today. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you.